0: away of the things that are not God. If you are called by God, which guess what? We're born all after Jesus Christ. So everybody is in here, what? Called. This is sonship. We are sons and daughters of God. So think about this. We don't want to, those, if those things start lifting, rising in us, we need to be given that to him. We offend him. If that's, if, if we actually prideful people raise their hands and they might say, God, I don't need you. That's what you're saying. You may not be saying those words, but the moment you start working in your human self, your human ability, the moment you start excess, uh, excess elevation of yourself, that's what you're saying to God. You're saying, God, I don't need you. I'm self-sufficient. I'm capable of doing whatever I believe I should do. Now I'm going to tell you something. God has shown me this. You can think that there's something that's for you. But if God did not show you and he did not process it, then you can actually be creating something out of your own strength and saying, I believe, I believe, I can see. And you're missing God because it might not be his plan. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's very important to recognize that we offend God when we don't give things up to him for him to do. Think about, gosh, we live in a... I was reading this this morning. It's so awesome. We live in a world where we actually encourage our children to go party it up, have it great, figure it, go to college, right? Get a degree so that they could have what they need, right? And we are, we are fluffing them up. I always said when Rachel was little, I wanted her to be a pharmacist. I was ready to put her in pharmacy school, go do all this. I was creating her what? Future is this little girl who had no opinion to say anything, right? And then I remember when I came in here, God squashed me down. He said, now give her to me. And he developed her plan. He started showing her things. And one of the things he showed her is that she wasn't to go away to college. That doesn't mean college is is good. But he told her not to do it. So there's grace where God puts the plan in your life. But you can't create it. You can't actually say to God that when you decide to do it in your own way, you're, you're offending him because he wants to do it for you. He actually wants to put a vision in your heart, and then he actually wants to get you there. Isn't that amazing? Come on, we are, oh, we all want to make it happen, right? How many people want to make it happen? Right, we want to make it happen. But that's, he's got to make something happen in us to make something happen, all right? And the first thing that's going to be is, we can't be doing actions or doing activities that back up saying, I don't, I don't need you, God. I don't need you, God. The moment you take it into your own strength and you think that you can push it, you've just taken it out of his hands. It says this attitude is an insult to the divine sovereignty. People with this type of attitude trust only in their own abilities and not, do not have the fear of the Lord. It is so awesome because we're not born to know the fear of the Lord. We have to grow into that. When you start having a relationship with God and he's going to reconcile you back to him, the man, and then reconcile you back to man, the plan to receive promises. The only way a promise can have no sorrow is if you didn't do it for yourself. It's because he did it and gave it to you. So Proverbs 16, five says, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces. None will go unpunished. Okay, that's really serious. See, when we know this word now, man, when we think we're taking this as a mirror tonight, when you go home, I want everybody to think about where do I need to have the fear of the Lord? What am I trying to do be a, a, a outside of Him? Because you know what? The devil is so tricky, he can make you think you're doing it for the Lord. Because, well, the word says this is a good thing, this is what I should do, but did the Lord really reveal that to you? Do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes we can create certain steps and certain moves, but if he hasn't really drawn us to that, he wants us, why the just shall live by what? Faith. We have to have faith. And I'm going to take questions at the end because this is I got to get through a lot. Faith has to be built in him. We have to contend for a faith for things that he showed us. Not in our own strength. In fact, there's just so much more lib- freedom when we realize he's going to do it. But the negative can join forces. Hey, the moment you say, I am, I am giving this to God. Do you know how many voices come and meet up with the ones that tell you, you can do this, you can go do this, you can go get your own loan and get the car. Do you get what I'm saying? Think about how how many people have heard the forces. I like it. Hey, there's two types of forces. The violent take it by force, right? We're supposed to use the word in confidence by force. But guess what? The enemy takes it by force too. <laughs> he overtakes our he overtakes our mind. All right, here we go. So here are the eight characteristics. Now I gave you a copy of this so you all don't have to write so we can wisp through these. All right. There are eight characteristics of a prideful and arrogant person. Now remember, use it as a mirror. Use it as a mirror. As I read these out softly, I want you to use them as a mirror and think about When you have found yourself in this position, the first one is self-sufficiency. They trust in their natural abilities, dislike teams, teamwork, and they feel they don't need anyone to accomplish their goals. This type of person lives independently from God and from others. Check self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is making you do it in your own strength. Two: perfectionism. I mean, I laugh, I, was, I was studying this, I was laughing at myself. Perfectionism. Perfectionists are never happy. <laughs> They're never happy. There is an element of, of, of imagination that we have, and in our imagination, if you have a natural perfectionist tendency, man, you can make everything beautiful, can't you? Right? And if you don't make it that beautiful, you're not what? Happy. Man, let's look at the holidays. Fala la la la, la 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 la, right? Christmas makes everything what? Beautiful. How many people feel down at Christmas? Right? You can feel down at Christmas because they've made such an image, the media, the the, the advertising, and then it kind of makes you feel down because you're thinking, well, I'm not happy if I don't have that picture on that person's Christmas card. Right? <laughs> Come on. A perfectionist starts working towards the picture that was never created for you. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so perfectionism is never happy with who they are. Come on, I love it. I got a laugh out of Charisse, right? We can create this beautiful picture a mommy, a daddy, kids, the dog, the great house behind, and say, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And then you could be looking at that and you could be thinking, oh, I don't have that. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes we try to identify ourselves by another person. When God already created us so wonderfully that he wants to create our own plan. Everybody in here was wonderfully made. And God has a special plan. It says, a perfectionist will have a hard time agreeing with others. They set goals. They set expectations. (laughs) I'm just laughing. They set expectations and they go beyond the norm. If they accomplish their goals, see, this is Satan's plan. If they actually accomplish their goals, they feel superior to all the others. Hey, I felt that way before my, my real estate career. Otherwise, they become frustrated, overly critical of themselves, and tend to reject themselves, and they'll put themselves where they reject others. So perfectionism, and look, we live in America. Come on. Even we even, the worst thing that we do to America is our body. We are, there is images of what you think you're supposed to look like, and when you don't start looking like that, what happens? You're not happy because you don't think you have happiness because that picture created happiness. Remember, God wants us to spend time in a relationship with him so he can create what is our happiness. So it's awesome. This is a good I love this. Isn't this a good checklist? Selfish. This is a type of person who strives for self-satisfaction without regard of others because they feel nothing will give them a sense of satisfaction. They try to satisfy their egotistical needs with wealth fame, sex, and anything they might believe can satisfy their desire. They seek self-gratification at any cost and are always looking and asking for more. This is what I love about this chart. The person who is the lost person, that's what they're doing. They're so self-absorbed. They don't even know that they can connect with a true creator who created them to be something. But when Christ enters in the born again experience, now The Holy Spirit has rights to start changing that person into who he was born to be, not who he wanted to be, not who he thinks he's to be. But he also starts working that type of person to love themselves. It's so important to learn to love ourselves. We know we don't love ourselves when we become so self-absorbed in trying to improve ourselves. So this type of person can, they can, they can they could they feel nothing will give them a, self, a sense of satisfaction because they don't have Christ in their heart. Once Christ enters in, he actually starts living and breathing in you and starts giving you something to live for, you know? And so that's cool. You actually change from selfish to selfless. Christ died to really change that in us. All right, come on, competitive people, right? Competition. They struggle to succeed and be recognized for their accomplishments. Do you know a competitive person? It's funny. I mean, I do this in tennis all the time. When I play tennis with somebody, I always say, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't really care if I win. I do. I always say that. I don't care if I win, even though I really kind of want to win, right? Okay. But I say, I, I did this to Kim McCoy. <laughs> we started playing tennis a couple times. I was like, yeah, I don't care if I want to win. I don't care if I win. You keep score. Because, hey, usually if you're really competitive, you want to like what? keep the score. Know where you're at. I was like, no, I don't really want it, But deep down, I was like, oh, I want to win, right? So anyway, but she's like, oh, I'm competitive. I'll keep score. (laughs) But really, I was competitive too. So don't always think that competition is always on the outside. There is, the Lord really revealed this to me, and I'm going to try to teach it the best I can today. There is an overcurrent pride and an undercurrent pride. I definitely function with the undercurrent. <laughs> my, I don't tend to always be noted on the overcurrent. The over, undercurrent person says, yeah, 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 you keep score, whatever. I'm going to, I want to win, right? And the other person's like, hey, I want to win. They're out there. They're like, I want to keep score because I want to make sure I get my every point. So remember, but that actual person struggles to, to succeed, and they actually struggle to actually be recognized because they want to be recognized so much that we already read the verse, God can't even honor that. So you see people with these great physical abilities that could be excellent athletes, excellent students, but because of pride and arrogance, God never lets them actually feel that recognition. That's really powerful. You see that all the time. You can see somebody, man, come on, Chris does sport. You can walk into a room and you can eye it all up. Oh, that's the winner. But that person could be so full with pride. They never actually ever get recognized for the ability that God did actually bestow on them as a gift. So I want you to think it. God cannot work through competitive people. They have an innate need to call attention to themselves. The, hey, think about it. Even in the tennis match, I called it first. Nah, I don't have to keep score, right? I was the first to speak. And seek the applause of others. Come on. We are also taught yeah. to do what? We clap when our kids fall. <laughs> we clap at the littlest things with our kids. You know what I mean? <gasps> they're first this. They're first. Yes, right? And then when they don't get attention, they don't even understand, come on, we all are really like that. Because we also have functioned, some generations, we have really grown up with very physically abusive parents. And our attention only came from negative abuse. So I want you to keep this in mind. Sometimes we look for applause because a lack of understanding true love. And so Competitive rises in a person who might not even have the nature to be competitive because they never received the applause, whether negative or positive. So, okay, this is a really good one. Spiteful. Have you ever said, that person's really spiteful. Do we really know what that means? Let's look at that definition. Spiteful people are unable to... Oh, this is so deep. This one is the one that really enlightened me when I was studying this. Spiteful people are unable to forgive... Or to even accept being offended. Oh, man, I love that. I I can think about every time. Oh, I'm not offended. I'm offended. No, I am offended. (laughs) But we actually, a prideful person actually puts barriers up. Oh, this is so deep. Because we can know the right answer. And then we start doing that answer in our own human strength. And the whole time, we are being spiteful. Gosh, that's a, that's a harsh word, spiteful, right? We are unable to get, or to even accept that we were even offended because there is, because their ego gets hurt. See, the enemy wants to think we're guarding our ego, protecting it when the whole time God's trying to get the truth in it. But the enemy wants to protect the lie through spitefulness, through competition, selfishness. It says, They are vengeful and consistently worry about their reputation. (gasps) How many times have you guys, when you see somebody come to Christ, and they're afraid to say something about using the word Jesus, right? Because they're so fearful of their what reputation. We had an awesome lady came in here, and she's like, "I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I don't know how to change because I'm going to be treated wrong because I love Jesus." She actually said that she knew she would not be accepted. So that would be, that'd be worrying about your what? Reputation. When we worry about our reputation, it actually causes an act of vengefulness, and you actually do something you would have never done just to protect your reputation. When Jesus came with no reputation, he didn't came of reputation. We shouldn't worry about it. We just, we should not worry about our reputation We should worry about what God has instructed through the Holy Spirit for us to do every day. Don't worry about your past. You got to move forward. So this is awesome. It says they prefer to argue and satisfy their pride than to forgive a person. Think about it. Wouldn't you have rather argued if you're right with somebody than just to say, will you forgive me? There's a growth. Sometimes it's really hard for us to actually ask for somebody's forgiveness instead of let me just make the point that I was right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I I have really grown in that. I had to realize I was a spiteful person. I didn't realize that. I worried about my reputation. I would de- deny being offended. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd be like, well, it really doesn't bother me. But then when you start, the devil starts working that little mind and it starts bothering you. All right. So isn't that cool? That was a cool definition, wasn't it? Cool for me. All right stubborn and ambitious a stubborn and ambitious person they continually seek to do their will saying things such as this is how things are and I can do it better they seek high profile positions and when they are asked to do something they do it their own way and are incapable of following someone else's instructions I mean come on we see that every day in the business world We see people that you might ask them to do something and the first answer they say are that, no. They don't even know why they're saying it. A stubborn and ambitious person, they'll say no to something before they even listen to try to, or ask the Holy Spirit, what should I do at this moment? So we've all been there where we have said no because we're really trying to seek to do it the way we're comfortable with. In fact, you know the Lord is challenging you to mature because we're all called to what? Mature in the body. When he puts you in a place to be challenged like this ministry, come on, how many times have we been in this ministry and we get challenged? And the first thing that comes out is like, oh no, I can do it this way. Does anybody want to admit that? Right? I can do it this way. But really we can't do it our own way. God is looking to see if we'll do it his way, in his way with the right leadership and authority working around us. So it's awesome. It's awesome. So we have to be open to be changed so we can receive. See, pride blocks. It's like, it's like we talked about the other day about the wells being opened up and the Philistines came in and filled the wells. All these things that we're talking about is like dirt filling into a well, causing the flow or the fountain of the well to, to explode. All right, skeptical. Skeptical is doubt. Doubt is a byproduct of arrogance. Only one degree higher, skeptical, arrogant people believe in nothing but themselves. You know, we are really born in that. Come on. Our parents even raise us. Oh, you're great. This is awesome. You're going to do good. We actually become skeptical when we're taken out of one fishbowl and you put the little fishy in another fishbowl, right? Because they're checking out their surroundings because they already got comfortable in the one bowl. And so that's what we're all born into sin in that one. Everybody's born into that, born into an understanding, an assembly of God. But then God then has that moment where he's going to put you in a different fishbowl so you can grow up in Christ. But yet the first thing that's going to hit is what? Doubt. Doubt hits us. And the first thing we think is, I can't do that. And then the answer is right. You can't do that. (laughs) I mean, I learned that helping people have babies. You know what I mean? Everybody I helped in the emergency, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to wait to the time till you tell me. I tell them before that you're going to tell me you can't do it. Right. And then they laugh. And the whole time they're saying, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Great. I'm doing it. Great. Good. Tell me when you can't do it. Right. Because we actually want to succeed. We are already made to want to succeed. Right. Doesn't everybody in here want to succeed? but God is telling us we cannot succeed with this list behind us. We cannot succeed with this attributes because it will cause doubt. It will cause rejection. It will cause us to start doing things in our own human strength and missing totally what God had that would really make us happy. The last one is contentions. They seek to validate their actions to satisfy their internal demands. Come on. I thought contentious was something else. They seek to validate their actions to satisfy their own internal demands. We actually, because of where we're born, actually have internal demands telling us we need to do this. We need to do that. This is the only way we're going to be successful. This is the only way we're going to be happy, right? How many people go through that constantly? Yes, because we're built, we're actually built like that to satisfy an internal demand, a demand God never put on you. Think about it. If you're trying to be an apostle, but you're called to be a teacher, then why would you even try to be something that there is no demand, but you think that'd be cool to be that? That's how that works. When we put ourselves in a position we were never called to do, but we think I want that position. And then boom, you just opened up contention, internal demand. Driving you, drive you, gave Satan access to drive you into pride, arrogance, and haughtiness. Therefore, how do you know somebody's contentious? They are always justifying themselves. (laughs) Come on, think about this. Think about when we stick up for ourselves, when we justify ourselves, when we actually start arguing with something, with somebody on, we are actually walking in one of these areas. Remember, by pride comes nothing but what? Strife, Proverbs thirteen ten. please. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well advised is wisdom. See, Jesus came not to show us the law, but to show us the awareness of his grace, to actually redeem everything to a wholeness. And in that, contention gets moved out because Jesus settles in. Self-sufficiency moves out because trust in him moves in. Perfectionism moves out because grace gives you everything you need to do what he has for you to do. Grace never wears you out. I mean, and guess what? If as we're moving up in the spirit, as we're growing up in the spirit to maturity into the body, when you're feeling the argument, the feist, the justification, one of these things is being moved out. So praise God, Right because we actually have to go through the rotation i love it well advised wisdom christ wants us to be in relationship with him so he can actually give us his wisdom instead of the way we think it should be so what is the origin of pride the origin of pride is manifested after satan put up ezekiel 28:17 this verse is talking about satan this verse is talking about satan ezekiel 28:17 Your heart was filled up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I lay you before kings that they might gaze at you. Satan was kicked out of heaven. And when he was kicked out of heaven, it was because he chose to be more independent than what God gave him to be. He chose to have a pride that was greater about his abilities But who made him beautiful? God made him beautiful. He made his voice beautiful. He made everything awesome. He wanted to be right above what was right. See, let's look at the dial. There's a dial for each and every one of us, a place that we're to be that's right. But when we want to be writer, do I sound like a little kid? That's what I'd say to my sisters and brothers. I'm writer, right? Okay, when we want to be higher than what that place is, we have just fallen into our own beauty, our own splendor. And we actually corrupted the wisdom that we were given for what we were really called to do. Do you get that? That's pretty deep. If I was called to be a teacher and God has given me ability to do that, and then if I go and try to be something I'm not, do you see what I'm saying? Then I might take the beauty of a teacher and turn it wrong because I'm going to add pride to try to make myself do something else. That I wasn't called to do. And then no matter what. God already said. The enemy will start building you up in pride. And you'll have to do what? Fall. You have to fall. So the origin is independence. Satan introduced the spirit. In the sense of independence. It says from that moment. We've all been influenced. We've all been controlled. We have all been by the spirit of pride. One outcome can cause. I love this. The spiritual blindness. Okay, now we're going to get into this. Everybody sees unforgiveness, right? Now, for those of you who are new here, this is your spirit. This black represents the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life that calluses, that holds down our spirit. Okay? Spiritual blindness is when you can't even see what your destiny is. You can't even see your destiny. Because if you have anger, envy, jealousy, bitterness, what's this word? Pride. And what? If you have pride, you're complaining. If you have pride, you're bitter. If you have pride, you're anger. You are exhibiting these. And then all of a sudden, Satan builds his own wall. This man, it says, your heart was lifted up. Because of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Satan sits on his throne in our soul. Think of it. This, this darkness is sitting on my soul. My spirit is here, and it now has created its own throne. Through pride, bitterness, complaining, anger, envy, jealousy, he actually starts building up a throne just so you won't know what your destiny is when people come in here, they don't know what their destiny is. I mean, people can accept Christ in their heart and still have no idea what their destiny is. They can actually have a spirit that's breathing, which is the excellence of God's power within you. But it's an undiscovered destiny. Come on. Until I walked I was 40 years old when I walked through the door. I didn't even know I had a destiny. But two weeks before I ever came into this, ever before I came into this ministry, I remember saying in my car, I'm so exhausted. Put me in my destiny. <laughs> we, God sets us up for the time where we're going to ask to be put in our destiny. And if we're going to be asked to be put in our destiny and Christ is in our heart and we're in agreement to that change, then you better watch out because Satan sits on his throne trying to rule our soul so our spirit cannot reveal that destiny. There are some things that have to fall away bitterness, pride, complaining, anger, envy, that all has to fall away to a measure for you to know your destiny. Raise your hand if you know your destiny. Raise your hand if you know your destiny. Okay, so that's cool. Some of the people who raise their hand, they've been coming to this ministry. But if this is new for you, God is going to break something out tonight so you will know, so you can start seeing, spiritually seeing. On the earth, we see perceptually. I see you. I see what you're wearing. I see what you're doing. In the second heaven, you know that you're affected by this, by Satan, his beauty and splendor, when all you do is conceptually see things. That means you're taking what you see, and then you're taking what your mind believes, and you're creating splendor. Come on, think about it. In all those things, there's eight characteristics. I can be angry and think I have the right to be angry, because I conceptualized the situation, took. This dark spot and I lifted up and created what I wanted it to be. And I put myself in the position of right. Does everybody understand that? But when Christ enters in, he wants to show you where he is right, where he is placing you. And in that, he's going to have to cut one of these things, going to cut these things down. But I'm going to tell you, you know, when pride is coming, because when that man sitting on that throne is lifted up and lifted up and you're a writer and you're not even seeking God, beware because what's going to come? A fall. A fall is going to come. So keep that in mind. Spiritual blindness blocks us from knowing our destiny. When we actually break through and get into that third heaven, then we have spiritual eyes to see the destiny God has for us. So what is the meaning of Lephiaphan? Now we started off by saying in the beginning that this spirit is known as Lephiathan. I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right. Can we put some air on? I am kind of warm. It says, "Leviathan is a spirit of pride. He is the king over the sons of pride." So think about it. This is a prophet of who? Leviathan. Pride sits up on his sits up on there. And it says when people are controlled and influenced by the spirit, they exhibit three particular characteristics. Everybody knows this, right, Charisse? Just keeping you alive here. One, stubborn, okay? How many people have been stubborn thinking it's their way? Right, boom, you've got it. All right, stiff-necked. That means you become so firm in your position, regardless if you seek the word, but you become unmovable. You're not going to look anywhere else. You've already decided what to fix yourself on. And then hard-headedness. Gosh, how many people can be so stick to the stick to it, stick to it? We've all been there. All right. So now, how does the Bible describe the spirit of Leviathan? Now, we're going to move through this quickly with the verses. If you have it in your book, there are 13 ways. Put up Isaiah 27.1, and I love this. If you are saved, now I'm going to tell you, if you've accepted Christ in your heart, do you know there's a coming judgment? I want you to think about this. Even in the Old Testament, before they got into the Holy of Holies, the items that were located outside were made of brass. Brass is a sign of judgment. That means when the sun hit it and the water watched it, judgment has to come out and be evaluated. See, when we come into here, that means all those eight characteristics are going to be on judgment. But leviathan's on judgment, not you. See, when you come closer to the word, God is going to elevate, elevate these symptoms. These um, defenses, so that you can start knowing what's on judgment. You're not on judgment. The Leviathan spirit in your soul is on judgment. Because how many times does it make you feel you're being judged? Okay. And so I want to get that out of everybody's mind. You're growing in Christ, the Holy Spirit in you's job is to actually move him out. So when you surrender, that means that spirit's going to be on judgment. Allow it to judge you. If you are saved, then that means that's where he wants you. You are not being judged, but the spirit of Leviathan is being judged. So what I'm going to read, I'm going to read 13 things that describe what will be on judgment. And I don't want you to, because remember, Leviathan is a serpent, a dragon. He is the monster of the depths of the sea. That's why I love it when the Lord showed me a long time ago, pride is undercurrent and overcurrent. Currents exist in the sea, right? So I love it. The overcurrent the Lord showed me is unforgiveness. Okay, because, man, you know when someone's angry. You know when someone's complaining. You can tell the sign of violence is jealousy. Okay, but when you move this out of the way, you also have shame. Well, there are eight characteristics, but what's in shame? Pride. But I love shame because shame is what? Hidden. This is the spot of pride that you know about yourself. Okay? You know that there is something in you that you don't want anybody else to know. You know about a negative characteristic or rebellion or a masking that you don't want anybody else to know. This is the one that protects its reputation. This is undercurrent. People can't see it, but you know it's there. And every once in a while, it comes out. Okay, but I love this the pride and unforgiveness. Its root is unknown, but it's really obvious that you have it, <laughs> meaning it, you don't know why you have it because you don't know where it entered in. But all these characteristics are very obvious, they're very people can cite them out, so it's really cool. So keep in mind the Leviathan spirit is a deep, deep, deep. It's out of all the, out of all the spots, pride is mentioned twice at the defenses out of rejection, shame, and unforgiveness. So that means it's a double whammy. I love it. So unforgiveness is unknown. Shame is hidden. It says, let me move this back. Praise the Lord. In the day, the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeting spirit. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. So, all the characteristics we already went over, God wants to do what? He wants to work those out of us. But he is, he is in war. Pride is always in war. But it's the Leviathan spirit that's dwelling in the soul, fighting against the word of God but God already says that he has to punish Latiathan. So isn't that awesome? So whatever's working in us and we feel it building up, let it be what? Defeated by the word. Let it be washed by the word. Let it be delivered from you in in a deliverance experience. The first thing you have to do is just admit you got it. If you can actually admit you got it, and lay it down. That's what I was doing to myself before I taught this lesson. I sat, that's why I started laughing at these characteristics. I thought spiteful was just being mean to somebody. (laughs) I didn't didn't really know what spiteful meant. I started looking at it. That's not a nice word. I think I'm there. (laughs) You know what I mean? I say that kind of jokingly. I would rather be transparent about what I see in my mirror so that when I lay it down to God, I will get delivered from that, all right? And I want that for everybody in here because it's not us on trial, it's what? Leviathan is on trial. And he already says, he's got to slay it. He's going to have to kill it. So whether out of all those eight descriptions, some are overcurrent and some are what? Undercurrent. Some of you in here really know you got the stuff. You know what I mean? Just from reading those definitions. So you don't have to be open to me. You have to be open to him to do the inner deliverance see because shame is so hidden it's an inner deliverance with an outer manifestation the outward man it can be cut so easily but yet it's like surgery jesus came to give us that surgery so here we go number 1 job 41 1 through 2 these are the 13 you like these The 13 ways the Bible describes Leviathan. Now, I told you the eight characteristics. Now, you tell me if you're in one of these, and we're going to go quickly. Job 41, 1 and 2. Okay, it says, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? That means, is this going to be easy? It's not easy. It says this, re- this refers to man's ability to dominate the spirit. That means the moment it starts to show, the first thing you want to do is what? You want to dominate it. Our human self wants to repress. No, no, I'm not prideful. Our, we want to pretense contention. We want to say, no, I'm not offended. <laughs> Come on, are we laughing? I mean, you have to really you have to laugh at yourself because humanity, our human strength cannot control this force. It's a force. You will feel the force try to overtake you. Come on. How many of you really lashed at somebody? Right? That was a force that overtook you. How many times have we really put down another person down and we've just had fun cutting it up? Do you know what I mean? Hey, well, we have to keep an eye on this because it is only can be defeated through the anointing of God, which the anointing of God is the authority of Jesus Christ to renew the soul? I want you to think here for a second. These 13 characteristics that I'm these these descriptions I'm going to give you, it is not easy to hook and snare this. You've got to truly surrender this to the authority of Jesus Christ. You know, thank God for the Holy Spirit gifts. The Holy Spirit gifts were given to us for the purpose to help us break through darkness. Do you know what I mean? Jesus came and gave his own gifts of leaders and authority to help you break through. When you come in here, you come into a ministry that is led by Jesus Christ. The authority, an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, a five-fold ministry that has actually been given the authority to slay Lathiathan. Isn't that awesome? So when you come in here, even if you're in a five-fold ministry, this has to be what? Worked out. Okay. So this is not easy because it cannot be done humanly possible. It can only be done under the authority and the anointing of Jesus Christ. And this ministry respects the order of Jesus Christ. We recognize the purpose of the Holy Spirit gifts. We recognize the gifts of the son and we want to manifest his glory. So the seven gifts of the father can function in here with power and it can slay. I'm telling you, with the vision of this place is people will come in the glory and Leviathan will be just knocked out. That means because in the glory, the, the, this, the, um, the, um, I have this written down in the glory, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving leadership and mercy. You walk in, they actually lift up and and do away with Leviathan because the orders right in this house. You can go to another church, And you could read these scriptures. And because the order of his authority is not in place, a five-fold ministry, you will struggle. The forces will struggle. You will come up and get prayed for, maybe for one of these things, and you never get delivered. You walk out and you feel madder than you did before because the order wasn't right in the house. See, we are blessed because we have that true order. Okay. Number two, Job 41.3. We're going right to the next one. Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Okay, here's the deal. If Leviathan's in you, second thing, first, the first one, you're warring. The second thing, you don't even want to pray. You don't even want to worship. You don't even, if Leviathan's in you, he rises up. He rises up. All these things run through your mind and you're like, I don't want to pray. I don't want to petition to God. I don't want to do this. It actually cuts off. Lothiathan's job is so you can't be reconciled back to God. Leviathan's job is to keep you reconciled from man. So you never get to your destiny. How many people want to be in their true destiny, right? So he can show you what is to be for you. So it's awesome. Number three, Job 41, four. We're just going right down this list. It says, will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Leviathan does not make covenants. How many people say, well, I'm not going to connect to this church? How many people don't want to make agreements to where they're supposed to be? People come, they go, they come, they go, they come, they hang with Jean, they go. They never really commit, but they're miserable every time they go away. I like that page of smiling. They come, this isn't for me. They go. They're, why? Because, you know, it's so funny how we'll respect a piece of paper we sign. But we won't even respect the covenant of God that we're supposed to be in. See, that's what I'm saying. The world, the cuts that communication off. So we don't even believe in what a covenant. I remember the first time Zinni taught on covenant. And it was like when she was talking at it, my whole mind just was like, oh, we have a covenant? I didn't even know that. I can accept Christ in my heart and didn't even know I have a covenant agreement with the father of heaven who wants to actually manifest what he created me to do. He actually has a destiny for me. And if I stay in alignment in covenant with him, see, Leviathan wants to make you think you're not in covenant. You're not in agreement. How many, we've been there, right? Okay. So it it, it becomes very independent and we don't want to submit to any authority. See, that's what I love when I learned what the authority of Christ was and that it manifests here, surrender to it, because you are guaranteed, you are guaranteed that you will be delivered from this if you stay in here. You are guaranteed. Number four, Job four eight, eight. It says, Lay your hands on him, remember the battle, and never do it again. Pride is always at war. Never argue with a prideful person. Never go into battle because you're going to do what? You're going to lose. If you haven't been delivered from pride, you cannot battle somebody else that's got it. Cuz it's just going to entertain each other. It's just going to keep going. So why would you even lay hands onto that kind of why would you even enter into that? If Christ is in you, somebody can be battling you and you just what? Just surrender. Just sit, don't speak. That's the best way to handle it. So because pride, that's a sign. Pride is always in a war. Its argument's always going to be bigger. It's always going to be better. It's always going to be you're lesser and it's greater. All right. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All right. Number five, 41:15. His rows of scales are his pride. They shut up tightly. As with a seal. Okay. These are like the scales. Anger, envy, jealousy, bitterness, pride, complaining. Here is our spirit and here is our soul that's seared with that darkness. But it keeps layering one layer. You know what? If this was a roof and you had these were shingles and they went down. You know what I mean? Like a roof angles down. Do you see how the shingles are on each other? Trying to repress down the spirit. So think about a roof that has shingles so that the water can go over it and not in it. Okay? See, shingles, scales, even a fish who has scales, it's, it's got an oil to it, right? So water can't get in. See, when we flow in the Spirit, when the well wants to break out, it can't break out with pride. Do you know what I'm saying? It can't break out with our own thinking. We actually have to have a renewed mind so that the Holy Spirit can flow from the third heaven through our vessel, but we become like a roof with with scales like a, what's it called? What are they called? On a roof. Shingles. shingles, right. They're like shingles layering over each other so the water doesn't get in. Isn't that awesome? So he says his rows of scales are his pride. The things we won't let in and the flow and understanding, the things we reject and the things we argue are the pride within us when we're supposed to be open to growing. Number six, Job 41, 16. One is so near another that no air can come between them. That means their scales are so tight, you can't even breathe air. You know what I mean? That means the air is so tight. It says the word air in Greek, pneuma, it means spirit. If we apply this term to Leviathan, we could say that his cows are so close to each other that the Holy Spirit air cannot enter through them. Wow, isn't that powerful? Okay, I got to give you a revelation, God told me. This is in Isaiah. The Lord showed me that when Jacob right? Was really fighting his pride. Jacob was young. He was he was exercising his strength of what he really believed. Come on. He had a lot of things he believed because what his mom told him. He did a lot of things because he was told to do it, not because he knew what to do. Well, God wrestled him, right? He wrestled that pride down so he could what? Ask his brother for forgiveness. Well, the beautiful thing is God bestowed him because he 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 actually was going to walk out God's instructions, he actually bestowed him. I called Jacob. This is so cute. I called Jacob like the first bride. There is a pride of ignorance. Jacob was ignorant. He didn't know why he was struggling with God. He didn't know why he was wrestling with God. When we come in here, we're like Jacob, right? We're so innocent. We don't know what we're even fighting. We don't even know the wants to battle with us, right? Until we start getting close to God, then we start getting the what? the manifestations of anger, the manifestations start to manifest. So I call that the first pride, Jacob's pride, ignorant pride. All right. And then God said, Hey, Jacob, I'm going to change your name. Your name is what? Israel. Okay. <gasps> because he knows better. <laughs> right? Now he knows God. He is inherited from God. And so Israel has what? Offspring. All right? And then he had 12 tribes. Jacob was Joseph was so awesome that he got what? Double. His his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh got a du- he got a double portion from them. But then, I love it. So, God actually blesses Israel. But then it's all through the Bible, woe to Ephraim. <laughs> woe to Ephraim. I had to look up Ephraim. Ephraim means pride. Okay, Ephraim had so much pride that he raised up his descendants with pride when he grew up knowing better. Second pride. (laughs) There's a pride we all have in our ignorance. But then when we come into the body and we start experiencing his gifts and we start experiencing our gifts and we start experiencing some success, woe to Ephraim because that undercurrent pride is now going to come up and we actually become spiritually prideful we actually become spiritually pride that's ephraim when god revealed this to me and it's right in the order of isaiah i could teach this i could teach you two chapters and break it down you go like this right so god had to really work ephraim his tribe to get him to know because he was dealing in a matured pride an undercurrent pride he had knowledge but he didn't have understanding jacob had knowledge his own knowledge, but he didn't have the understanding of the truth. He had, it had to be worked out of him. Ephraim actually had knowledge of the truth, but had no understanding. Do you see the difference? We can actually come in here and we can start growing up, and then religious pride can start taking over. How many people, we've, we've seen that, right? We've experienced that. And so the Lord showed me that was like the second pride, and neither of them had understanding. But their knowledges were different fields. One was Jacob's was just what he was taught. Ephraim really grew up in the truth of inheritance. He saw the inheritance. He watched his family inherit. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. But, you know, God loves us all so much that he works those two ways. He's always working pride. Pride is so crafty. It's always working. So that spirit of pride can actually stop everything that leads that person to change. It blocks their heart. It blocks their mind. It doesn't make a difference how mature you are on this chart. I don't care how mature you are on this chart. Pride can come in so sneaky. Do you know what I mean? Our pride, it says lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of, pride of life is the toughest one because it has so many elements to it. It's a big monster with lots of heads. <laughs> it's got to have lots of heads, right? Because we think we slay it once, and we, and then we're, we think we're good. And then he's just pumping in more, what, pride. He's just doing it on a different angle. I'm telling you, we read the eight characteristics. Those are the entrances of how. So if you can assess yourself on those eight characteristics and then start noting this, you know, how the Bible describes it, just know we have guess what? We have the victory. If you're willing to surrender yourself and identify this, you have the victory and it's going to be delivered. Number eight, it says, oh, I mean, number seven, seventeen. Forty one seventeen. 17, It says they are joined to one another. They stick together and they cannot be parted. Isn't that amazing? Birds of a feather flock together. Hey, somebody with certain levels of pride, always pick that same person with pride to be friends with. You watch it in a room as people come together. So think about who are you connecting with? Because if you're connecting with somebody and you can see what pride's in them, then it's probably in you. Use this as a mirror because I'm not saying that just because you like somebody, that means you have what they have. I'm saying, think of the words you're saying. How are you fellowshipping? What is The thing you think you're getting from them. When you think you're getting something from somebody that's going to make you feel better, you already missed it because only God can really bring us that place. Only God can. People can't. We enjoy people. I want to enjoy people. Do you know what I mean? Everybody wants to feel the fulfillment of joy with no expectation with a person, right? I don't want to have to expect for somebody to do something. I want to enjoy doing something with somebody. Do you get what I'm saying? But when pride is in, you can't what? You can't enjoy that person because you're expecting from that person. How many people get mad? I expected this and it didn't happen. What's working? Pride, right? All right. Number eight says, Job 41, 18, 19. His sneezings flash forth light and his eyes are like the eyelids of morning, but out of his mouth are burning lights. They spark as fire shooting out of you. I know everybody in here spiritually. You have talked to a person that's really angry. And very prideful. And as they're talking, you can feel it. How many times have you felt it? Have you felt pride come off of a person? I have felt it push me back in some senses. So when there, sometimes people can see the light that's in you, but a prideful person will want to what? Push it in the spirit. It wants to push you away. And that's where don't receive it. Know that you're supposed to keep walking what? Towards it. You are to move forward. Time. What's the time? Oh, is it? Oh my God. Time goes by fast. All right. Um, all right. I'm going to let you guys, you can go ahead and read a little bit more depth of number. I don't know if everybody has the book. All right. Let me just finish two more. I'm going to fish two more that I think are important. Keep in mind that as you read this deeper, you recognize prize by what a person is saying, by the power of the tongue. You recognize prize, pride, the Bible says, by the vainglory that they're speaking in their mouth. It also says that smoke goes out of their nostrils and forms a boiling pot and burning brushes. The word of boiling gives the idea of emotional and sentimental state of agitation. Anytime you feel an agitation, pride is, is working. All right. Pride is prone to anger. All right. Number 10 says strength dwells in its neck. And sorrow dances before him. That means it's stubborn. It's headstrong. Number 11 says, his heart is as hard as a stone, even as hard as his lower millstones. That means a person of pride has such a hard heart, they can't open it to even hear what is truth. 12 says, he makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Prideful people usually cause serious problems. How many people can take the littlest thing and start to make it the biggest problem? And you're, come on, we've seen it in workplaces. We've seen it with kids in school. We see it with ourselves as parents. We can take one little thing and we can make a mountain out of a molehill of it. And we don't realize that we're functioning through pride. So remember, Job 41, 34 says, he beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. So. What spirits are related to pride? It's very easy. It says right here on the page that they are anger, arrogance, conflict, disobedient, independent, lies, wishcraft, perfectionism, rebellious, vanity, divination, rejection. Pride is a spirit that creates a false sense of the security. And guess what? Pride always wants to be fed with a compliment. It wants, the more you feed it what it wants to hear, it elevates itself up. Do you know what I mean? But then it's never dealing with the problem. That's why when in here, when the baby flies across the room crying and screaming, we don't what? We don't catch it. We let it fall because if we're to catch it in midair and cuddle it when God's trying to do something with it, you ever hear we don't pet the devil? We don't pet. It's not about petting the person. We don't pet the enemy we see elevating in that person because we'd rather come to its what? Fullness, right? The maturity so it can be delivered. And we have, there's been a lot of deliverance in this ministry that deals with pride. So three things that you need to do when moving and growing in this. The first thing is, is you have to be, you have to have true humility, not false humility. You know, you're acting in false humility when you actually do what you know is right, but you're looking for the attention because you did it right. That's false humility. True humility is when you know it, you're starting to feel so inside that the Lord is humbling you. The spirit is humbling you. And he actually works something in you where you go and ask for forgiveness or you go do something out of a humbled spirit, not because it's in your human ability to do it, but it's because God asked you to do that. So allow, that's why we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gifts are to help us break through. They are put in place to help us remove darkness so our minds do not become attacked so we can hear the instruction of God. So, because there's always going to be an act that we have to do. Number two, it's important to know that we have to ask for forgiveness. Once you identify, you start feeling humbled. You start feeling something's not right. You have to ask the Lord, what are you working on? And when you hear an area, when you go through those eight characteristics, you might hear one of those words now that you know the definitions. And then that repentance includes, it means that you're saying, I want to change my heart. You want to ask for forgiveness. You want God to open the door so you can be delivered from that. And I got to tell you, I met a girl, Christina. I know a lot of people know her. She came here and she said that ever since the baptism, it's like this: the Holy Spirit has broken out into another level in her heart. And God has been asking her to do things that she physically does not think she can do. One was really quit smoking it was awesome. She actually, she was smoking. She gave it up. She started reading the Bible. Then, then it was awesome. She said after the baptism, it was like, it was like there was a more responsibility because when God, when, when Christ is in your heart, what he starts, he's going to what? Finish. We actually say to him in covenant agreement, I want you to finish the work you're going to do in here. And so she, when she got baptized, she said, now it was like, she couldn't, even, she couldn't even smoke that cigarette anymore, even though she get the craving, but she, she just couldn't. See, God put, promoted her into what? Another level of knowing him. Then he's been putting in her heart to ask certain people for forgiveness that she doesn't want to. <laughs> she, she's so cute about it. She's like this last night. Ms. Lee, I just didn't want to do it. I, but I kept hearing I needed to ask for forgiveness, but I didn't want to do it. I love it. The Holy Spirit was starting to what? humble her. He was starting to humble her and she passed that same person all the time. Still didn't do it. Still didn't do it. So one day she just said, she went up to that person. Look, I need your help because I'm asking you for forgiveness. And the the girl's like, why? Because I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to. So will you forgive me? You know, Christina, it's so cute. She actually did it. And the girl's like, yeah, okay. I, I take your forgiveness. And now they have to work on a team together in class. But it was something that God was dealing in her, not necessarily the other girl. How many times has pride made us think there was a problem and there's no problem? Come on. But yet, if it is a problem in you, God wants to deal with it. Come on. How many times have we been in a place where God wanted you to step out to another person, regardless of what your, what your brain is thinking? But stepping out of it does something for him. So when we repent, we have to ask God, What are we working? And ask for his forgiveness, and then he's going to show you what to do. He's going to follow it up with an instruction. He's going to give you an instruction because he wants to bless you. He wants to change you. He wants you to decrease so he can what? Increase. The increase is so you'll do what he's asked you to do. All right, and then the last thing is to renounce that spirit. If God showed me spiteful, do you know what I mean? Then I need to renounce that spirit, but then... I renounce it with the word of God. See, in our prayers, remember, Leviathan does not like to what? Pray. Okay? So when you start praying something out, whether you understand it or not, you are actually taking a stand with the word of God. You're putting on your armor and you are walking that out. But then I know this because every time God has me start praying something out, he asks me to step something out. That means there has to be an action that follows that prayer. You just can't pray and wait for something to happen. In prayer will always be instruction. At least that's what I experienced. Every time I pray about something and I'm really broken about it, he will give me an instruction. And a lot of times in the beginning, I didn't think I could do that instruction. But every time I took the step towards that instruction, he took a step towards Me, drawing closer to him is taking a step towards not just praying out what you identify, but it's also renouncing it in word, but then saying, what do you want me to do about it? Man, we have so many testimonies of this ministry of people who draw closer to God because they stepped towards in the renouncing of what they saw was wrong, doing the instruction he asked to do, which the whole time you're doing it, he's doing something in those other people. Do you get the depth of that? See, Lothiathan doesn't want you to ever draw closer to God because he knows God will take one step closer to you. That means you are going to receive from him. So the most important thing is when we renounce in the spirit and you are truly praying out what you're in agreement to with him, what you've identified, he is now going to ask you to serve. See, you actually work in the service of Jesus Christ when you do the instruction he told you you actually work in service to Christ. Jesus, when he came, he didn't want, he taught his disciples service by washing their feet. He actually taught his disciples. He said, no, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to teach you how to take a step. And they were like, no, it was Peter, right? Peter said, no, you can't wash our feet. Do you know what I mean? Because he already put his pride in him, already put him at a certain elevation. But Jesus said, no, I have to wash. I have to wash your feet. I have to serve you. That's why I thought was so great about Christina's story last night. She actually said she heard the Holy Spirit tell her to go ask for, for, take a step towards this person because secretly she didn't like the person. She really didn't like the person. Isn't that awesome? Like she's not trying to hide this. She'll give this testimony. She did not really care for that person. She didn't know the person. She knew nothing about the person. Her outside observation already said, "I don't like." Come on, how many of us done that? We can walk into a thing and we can decide what we don't like about somebody. All right, we can't do that. If we're in the body of Christ, we are to serve ourselves. The word says in James four ten, "Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will do what? Lift you up in due season." And so we have to remember that our relationship with the Lord. He is trying to encourage us. He is slaying. Lethia, So if any of you tonight has read through these characteristics and you feel that you've identified, I want you to give that up to him. I want you to give it up to him. I want you to ask for forgiveness and I want you to seek the kingdom of God and see what is it that you can meditate on? How can you start working that relationship? And then he's going to do what? As you start renouncing that, when you feel it rise, he will give you an instruction so he can flow through you to advance somebody else towards his love. So I just praise God. Jean, do you have something you want to say?